Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by my lovely, lovely friend, Kelsey Forbes, who I've gotten to know for many years now. I've followed her adventures around the world. She's captivated me with multiple stories of her just adventuresome spirit, entrepreneurial spirit, and she's a great kind of mold and model for the Misfits and Rejects uh, audience because she gets out there, mixes it up, does what she wants, creates the life that she wants, and I really just wanted to come on and kind of share to you all how she does it. So Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's rad to hear your voice. I know we just got to share a little bit of time down here in Nicaragua, which was amazing. I love meeting your friend Miles. Good dude. Um, yeah. You always pick some really amazing, interesting people to associate yourself with. And uh, we had a good time, but now you're back in Canada and just getting ready for another adventure. So maybe you talk about what's on the horizon right now because you're back in Canada and I know you are starting kind of a new career with Knowles. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Knowles is the National Outdoor Leadership School cool. doing outdoor education. So that was a huge pivot in your life because you, for a long time, owned your own business, uh, Smashing Glasses, which was a kind of party party thing. Yeah, par- <laughs> party rentals. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah, that was the last 10 years um, in Tofino, and it was a event rentals business, so basically providing all the supplies and stuff for weddings and festivals and parties. And Tofino, as you know, cheap, because you've been here, is a beautiful destination um, and just getting busier and busier. So, yeah, that was a startup that I did because I wanted to live here. And um, when I was making that choice around, I was sort of late 20s, or do I stay in Vancouver and go on this career path? Or do I go back to Tofino, this community that I love and place I love and decided to come back to Tofino? I was like, okay, I got to start a business because I don't want to just work for my friends. Um, and so went on that venture, which was totally new and exciting and cool. And that was, yeah, the last 10 years. That's awesome, dude. So with that happening in your life, the last 10 years, Kels? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did it restrict your movement and your love for travel at all? I mean, I can you kind of just give an audience a bigger picture on on the details of your your yearly kind of routine? Yeah, so that was actually it was pretty conscious decision the way my friend and I created the business so that we could we could continue traveling. Or for me, that was my priority. Um, I am a traveler for sure, and I always need travel in my life and adventure and. Um, I realize I really learn about myself and can explore more of who I am by putting myself in new positions. I mean, I think anyone can. And travel is an awesome way to do that because you never know what's going to happen when you get off that bus or what what the town is like or the people you're going to meet. So it's just like a really vital part of my being. Um, So I wanted work that would be seasonal or just like enable me to to go away for a couple months a year. So this was perfect because this was a business that we could essentially back in the day when we were starting it, it's definitely busier now, but we could shut the doors and I could take off for a few months. 
um, in the wintertime. So it was really intense work, five, six months of the year, and then downtime in the winter, um, which, you know, led to Nicaragua when I met you and, and lots of different adventures. Um, but that was definitely like a, a satisfying and important part of it for me. Yeah. And then yeah. you, it played itself out. I mean, you did a long, good run of 10 years and you sold it recently for a, a very okay. nice profit, you know, for starting a business from scratch and then growing it to what you grew it to. Um, we talked about that a little bit and you have nice now a little bit of, you have a nice little chunk of change in your, in your back pocket. You've been traveling now for what the last like year, pretty solid. You just kind of been on the road. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, it's been kind of rolled into two years now. So the first year coming out of it was awesome. Yes, definitely satisfying. I mean, I, I went into the business not really having a long-term plan. Like I definitely see myself more as a, I guess an opportunist than a plan maker. Like I'm not good with those like five year visions or mm -hmm. 10 year visions that I realize I recognize can be really valuable, but um, I don't know, just it's been harder for me to, to think that way. So there was definitely a period in the last few years where I was, you know, my life was changing. I was thinking different things. I was feeling, I wasn't feeling the satisfaction from the business. Like I really love business development and the creativity and the process of that. And, uh, and as I was doing that with the business, it was exciting. And then it just got to a point where it sort of plateaued out for me. Um, and that combined with wanting different, different things in life around relationships and community and, and growth that I was just feeling a little flatlined in where I was. Um, and so, you know, the process to sell it was not just selling the business. It was also like a really big reflection and, um, process on my own life. Like it actually felt like, like getting out of it and pulling out of Tofino, which has been, you know, it's a very small town. It's a tight knit community. It's a place I love close relationships. It was, it felt like breaking up with my life in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and going through that of like, what do I actually want? Where do I want to go next? How does this feel? Where is this not fulfilling me? Where is my, when I look out at my community, where is it not reflecting me back? Um, and sort of going through all of that led to like, okay, I need to sell my business so that I can just get on a new path in life because in a way now it's holding me back. Like it, it served me wonderfully all those years to be like, make money part-time and travel part-time. And, and then I got to a point where I was like, that's not enough. This isn't it anymore. So, yeah. So, and people thought I was crazy. They're like, your business is finally rocking. It's doing awesome. Why would you sell it now? Um, but again, it's just kind of how I've made choices in life that are just like, is my heart here? And if I'm not fully in it, it's time for a new adventure. Um, so, yeah. So, sold it definitely gave me a little bit of financial security, which is awesome. Um, and then basically, yeah. And then I've been traveling for the last year. It's turned into two pretty much, um, which is, which is stretching out. Now I'm kind of like, okay, what's next? Like I'm starting to get the entrepreneur feelers out. I'm starting to feel a little bit like I'm ready to dive into something again, but I have the wisdom now that when, like when you start a business and you dive into something, it's going to take all of, well, for me, it's going to take all of me. It's going to take my energy, my passion, my time. So I want to be like intentional about where I'm going to put that energy next. So I'm, I'm being a little like reflective and tentative and, you know, kind of seeing what's out there going slowly in it. 
I love it. There's actually quite a bit. I'd love to dive into deeper with what you just said because you, when you were going through that little bit of apprehension to keep going or not keep to stay in Tofino, keep your business or really kind of go after what your intuition was telling you to do, which was to maybe move, move on into a new realm of life. You know, that's scary for a lot of people. And I'm kind of curious as to how you reconciled that within yourself, where were you writing like in your journal? So it's easy to like, uh, compare and contrast, you know, where you were, you know, one week earlier of like being like, I'm selling for sure. And then a week later being like, Oh wait, I don't know if I want to sell right now. Like, how were you able, able to like navigate through all that roller coaster of emotions and then come to that ultimate decision? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> um, a lot of tears. <laughs> it was definitely an emotional kind of messy, uncomfortable time. Um, I don't know if I, if it was as like practical as, you know, writing that kind of stuff down. Like, that's a great idea. I kind of wish I had done that. Um, but it was sort of just like riding the roller coaster of it. So it sort of, it started because my business partner wanted out of the business. So that was obviously an opportunity to be like, do we sell together? Do I keep it? Like it made me have to question what, what do I want? Cause we were just rolling along together. Mm -hmm. um, so she sold, I ended up keeping it, which was, which was a great decision. Cause then I could grow it. Um, and how, develop long, how much longer did it take you to grow it? after she bailed and you bought her out two years. Okay. Yeah. I had it two more years before I sold. And wait, um, I, just, I want to touch upon this aspect of it. Cause you and I've had a heart to heart about it. Cause you, you kept it for two more years and that last two years was a really hard grind for you. Like you weren't that psyched on your situation. And like, I remember you talking about like on a daily, you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't like this. And, but you had to, you had to like stick it out for a few more years to get it to that level in which selling it made viable sense for you. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was a struggle. Cause I'm not used to that. Like I'm used to the, like, I'm not digging it. I'm going to pick up and go, or I'm not digging it. I'm going to change. And it was a commitment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another thing in my life that I'm thinking about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That is challenging, you know, like I, yeah, that was really hard. I can look back on it now and absolutely value that, like see, whoa, that's pretty, that's a pretty powerful experience in itself to, to, to kind of have to stick through something, get to the other side. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what the worst of it was I was ready to go. I had it for sale. I was actively, you know, putting ads out tons of phone calls. So I was fielding like a lot of energy went into like to emails and phone calls and, and information and meetings with people who were interested from all over Canada. Mm. Um, and I, so I had started the ball rolling in the next direction, which we'll get back to but this outdoor leadership stuff. And I had been accepted to this really amazing program. So my, I was already checked out. Like I was like, okay, cool. Next summer I'm going to be doing this. I just got to get the business sold. And this was sort of over a six month period. And I was excited and, you know, my foot was half out the door because I kind of knew the next place I was going. Um, and I had this business uh, offer and we went quite deep into a deal and the deal was done. Like it was an accepted offer and we were negotiating and talking and, um, you know, I was two months away from this new new program that I was going towards. And it wasn't going smooth and it just like wasn't working and things were being said in the negotiations that weren't sitting well with me. 
Um, and this comes back to like, I do a lot. I make a lot of my decisions based on intuition and how it feels and with, you know, a logical, practical assessment as well. But I really value the intuitive side. Um, and it just, it, it wasn't, it felt, suddenly it just felt all wrong. But it was so hard to accept that because I was on to the next thing. I was ready. I was accepted in this program and ready to go. And I remember just like being in the depths of this period this week and I had to just I called and pulled the plug and I canned the deal knowing I I wasn't leaving like knowing if I did that I was staying for the summer and working another season and that's probably when we talked because I was not in a very good state and I was just like I have to do this I don't have another choice I don't know why I was like why is this happening like everything's lining up so perfectly what is why is this it doesn't make sense and I really did spend about a month pre-season like the month of may sitting on my deck staring out across to the mountains and trees every night wrapped up in a blanket crying being like why is this happening um and then the beautiful thing is i you know it's like when you're in it when you're in the thick of it and the scary place and like you said you know a lot of people can relate to that like ah how do you make that change and it's hard and uncomfortable yeah and be in it and you know and trust there's some kind of element of trust and so sure enough I you know start the season my head down I know I have to get through it and two months into that my one of my closest friends here who'd been through the whole process with me and seen the ups and downs and the potential sale and everything happening and all the emotional roller coaster and she'd been through it and watched me and always been interested in the business but not really personally ready you know two months into after that she was like I want to buy it and I am ready and the timing is lining up. And it, so it turned into like the ultimate best sale that ever could have happened. But you know, I didn't know that when I was saying no to this other deal. And so it was just cool. Like it, it was so hard, but it, it just showed me like it worked out in a, in a dream come true kind of way. Like I didn't think the sale could go that well. This was like the best person for the business, which I obviously care about. It's my baby, right? I grew it. Like it's cool that it's like staying in the family and a really close friend. And then because she's important to me and, and you know, I care about her and the business, she gets endless mentoring and information and I'll always help her out with it. So it worked out amazing, but yeah, it was definitely a rough go. I love that. That's so cool just to hear that, you know, because as you said, you didn't know why you were stuck in it for that extra period of time. But then in the end, it worked out in your favor of having somebody you know, love and care about take it over. And also, you know, I don't know exactly what you sold it for, but, you know, maybe making a little bit more money on the sale or not, just knowing that that person loves it and cares about it more than the original buyer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was, it was cool. It wasn't, it was, I mean, I know, I know things don't always work out that way, but it was definitely an example of like, um, it felt like the universe had a bigger plan, you know, and I just needed to get <laughs> rocked in that washing machine for a little while, but it came out awesome. That's so cool. So then, yeah, you had obviously been considering Knowles, applied for Knowles, got the job at Knowles, and then Knowles was willing to kind of accept you even after you missed that uh, first summer? Yeah, so basically I, I had to reapply for the next year. Okay. So um, I had to go through the whole process again and then got in again and then, yeah, shifted into that. Um, now explain what Knowles is again for the audience and what that acronym stands for. Yeah, it's um, the National Outdoor Leadership School 
and it's a really big organization based in the States and they have branches all over the world. Um, Alaska, there's a Canadian branch in the Yukon, uh, Mexico, uh, Africa, yeah, all over. And it's all different types of outdoor education leadership. So there's, I'm a hiking instructor. So there's hiking, there's, you know, kayaking, rock climbing, um, all different outdoor wilderness sports. And we, the programs I work on, we take youth out into the mountains for three weeks or a month and, you know, go way out there and teach a leadership curriculum, wilderness skills, risk management, uh, environmental sciences through sort of the platform and structure of this hiking experience. And um, we're basically, you know, some students have never put a backpack on before. And by the end of the course, we're teaching them and building them and, you know, creating this amazing experience that ideally by the end of the course, you know, they're, they're expeditioning alone without the instructors. So it's this pretty amazing transformational experience. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, basis of what that are, job is are these like troubled youth or are these like how do you get these people to sign up for what you do um there's sort of different different angles like some pro there's scholarship programs and so some of the programs are um students that have come from difficult backgrounds or you know have that kind of have that angle to it and then some are you know white middle upper class americans who this is a summer program. Okay. I yeah. got it. And yeah. then this, so, this whole Knowles thing was uh, like a bit of a intrigue for you. You want to get kind of reconnected with nature. Um, obviously you've always been into kind of mentoring people as well. Um, but it sounds like it's kind of that little space or that buffer between Kelsey's next big entrepreneurial endeavor. <laughs> Is that what I'm kind of hearing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I, again, I'm still kind of in the unknown, but I think I mean, what's kind of cool, like a lot of people ask me how I went to that shift because it's totally different. Well, I mean, if you look at my career path, my first, you know, all my 20s, I was studying medicine. I was uh, studied Chinese medicine. I'm an acupuncturist, was completely absorbed in the world of health and healing. And then, boom, this sudden switch to like, I'm owning an event business, like totally different path, different lessons, different area. And then I, re you know, then that, and I'm realizing it's these 10 years now. So that 10 years happened. And then I'm like, I'm doing outdoor education now. <laughs> so it's these interesting, different, different fields. Uh -huh. um, but the way I came to this was when I was selling my business and kind of in that process that last year, I was thinking about, okay, well, what's next? Right. And, and I asked myself, not like, what do I want to do next? Or what's the next career move? Or I, I just asked myself, like, where are you happiest and what do you like doing the most? And the answer was camping and hiking. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's get yourself in a place where you're happy and fulfilled, where you feel good. Um, that was a big part of it. And then the other question I was asking myself, which you and I have talked about in conversation, is like trying to define what the thing is that you do, like, into one word like what's your what's your not so much your motivator but what's your what's your action in this world so are you a communicate you know is your thing community communication or is your thing like I don't know so but the word that came up for me was transformation and I want to be 
in situations that are transformative. I want to be working with people in transformative ways. I want to see people and things transform, like in that actual movement. It's like the the symbol of you know the phoenix rising from the fire, like going into the flames and coming out the other side. And so the combination of I like being in the wilderness and I like working in the, with this essence of transformation totally like puts me right in the place of outdoor wilderness experience. Leadership. <laughs> yeah. And education, right? I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. So that's, you know, that's the draw. It's like, that it's the right, it's the right action is happening in the right setting for me. So yeah, it's all new and exciting. And sorry, back to your question of like, where is this leading for me? I, I just feel like I'm getting this amazing education and abundance of information and I'm learning and I'm, I'm sort of putting almost like all the healing work and then all the self building and confidence work of business. Like those 20 years are all kind of coming out in this neat combination of action and experience in the wilderness. And I definitely, I love it. I feel really inspired. So I'm not sure where exactly it's going to pan out, but it's definitely um, like moving forward with awesome momentum right now and feels, feels right. That's so cool. Can you um, describe to our audience the biggest transformation that you've seen with one of the individuals that has participated in your Knowles course? Ooh, <clears throat> There's so many um, because it's sometimes just the little little things, you know. Well, even that a little are, one, even something that just like you were so excited to see have happen to somebody. Yeah. Okay. So there was this one student on one of the courses that, um, you know, we do this at, in one of the courses. We did this activity in the evenings where it's called like the hot seat. So each night, one person at the evening circle. Um, will have the hot seat and they talk for four minutes and they can talk about anything they want, share some part of their life or story. And then we can ask whatever questions we want for four minutes. So it's just a nice way for somebody to be in the spotlight and we get to know them deeper. And this one student who was, you know, a little different than the other students and there was tensions with people and getting along. Um, and he said, you know, he was talking in his story in the evening about some of the real hardships in his life. And, some really tragic things he'd gone through. And these are things nobody knew, right? So it's these moments of like seeing deeper into who somebody is because we're in this very intimate, you know, we're spending a month together, eating, sleeping, traveling, getting, you know, getting to know each other, no technology. That's part of the beauty of it. Take that away. Mm -hmm. um, but you're still getting deeper and deeper. And so he's sharing this and you're just seeing the compassion, you know, on these 17, 18 year olds faces of like actually like stopping the judgment and stopping the, the preconceived notions and hearing this person's story. And, you know, there's this part where he was saying, like, I don't really have very many friends and I've never had a best friend. And he said, you know, but the hardest part is like, nobody's wanted me for a best friend. And I mean, there were tears coming down people's faces. Like it was, it was really, and he was just, you know, telling his thing and, you know, non-emotional. And yeah. I was just thinking, wow, like, it's raw and it's real and, and that's amazing to share that. And then at the, at the end of the course, the last night we do this activity or on this course, we did an activity where you write down, everyone writes down something positive that they like 
about each person in the group. So at the end of the activity, you end up with like 14 little pieces of paper in the hat in front of you of things that people love about you. And we have the students go around and actually read them out loud. And it's interesting because it's really hard for people to do that. Like it's, we're so not used to saying positive things about ourselves out loud. Mm. So even just the act of reading these like beautiful words about you out loud to other people. And, you know, and of course he had that as well. And I was just, you know, I was just so moved. I was like, he's walking away from this experience with like these papers as a, as a symbol or representation of like what people, these people who now know him well and have shared this amazing experience, like love about him, like to feel like he never had friends or nobody ever wanted to know him. He's like walking away. I can imagine. Well, I know cause you know, we talked with him, but like full of just being seen a bit, you know, like that's going to change his life. Oh man, that's so powerful. I was getting choked up, like thinking about yeah. that, you know, like what a emotional roller coaster you must go through, not just dealing with the elements, but just, yeah, to see these heartfelt yeah. things being said and shared amongst kids who can be absolutely assholes to each other. Absolutely. They're teenagers, right? Yeah. And, and I love that. Like I, I heard, I was listening to a podcast this morning and they used the word intimacy junkie. And I was like, I think I'm an intimacy junkie. Like <laughs> when I, I want to go deep, whether it's like boyfriends, lovers, friends, like, you know, I mean, yeah, that's, I think what you and I have been friends for so long. We'll get deep. I want to, you know, like I, it's the transformation thing. Like I want to, I want to be on that level. So doing these courses and not all the time. That's the other thing. Like, I also want to like lighten, be light and have fun and, you know, not be functioning there all the time. But this work is amazing because it gives me this like, boom, here you are for a month, like deep in it. And there's no other way to be when you're in that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it is powerful and 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 exciting because you don't know what's going to happen every day. You know, you really are. And you're out there in the elements and like risk is happening and dangerous things have happened and we've worked through that and you're just sort of like raw and so present it's, it's an experience where you get to be so present because you know we're disconnected from technology which is not a small thing like that is an amazing miraculous special thing in this day and age you're so you're really present and everything that's happening is the conversations and the interactions between the people in front of you in that moment um that's and that's really... just a cool place to live from no, it is. It's amazing. And, you know, I've talked about in past episodes and we've talked a lot about that, about, you know, me practicing, trying to be present all the time, which, man, I'm in my head so much. But those little moments that I get to experience either in the ocean surfing or just through being connected with somebody is really powerful. And I know you went through something really profound recently, which we I really want to get into with you of being present for 10 days silent. <laughs> you did a Vipassana. Um, can you tell us what Vipassana is and why you chose to do it? Yeah. Um, so Vipassana is a, a type of meditation. I don't know too much about the, the like theory and big picture of it, but I had always heard about it. The Vipassana 10 day silent meditation retreat. I have a number of friends who have done it. So over the last 10 years, I'd always heard of this thing and been like, Oh God, I could never do that. Like, I don't mind the silence. I've definitely spent a lot of time on my own and things like that, but just the, like, I don't know, sitting just a lot of fears. Um, and, and so basically you, the retreat is, 
is 10 days. You go to a center. I went to one that was in Washington, just south of Seattle. And there's really nice facilities and everything's kind of taken care, care of for you. It's almost like, um, you know, they set up this like monastery setting so that all you have to do is meditate. So there's wonderful food. Uh, there's a very kind of strict regular schedule. So you're not even thinking about time. You're just going on. Eventually you realize you're just like in the schedule that they've created. Um, and you're meditating nine to 10 hours a day. That is fucking gnarly. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So I, I finally, at this point in my life, I was just like, Hey, I've got the time. I've always been interested. I've been doing some pretty good, like personal work the last year, like with, um, some different healers. And I was just like, dive in. Like if I'm doing this work, let's do it. And so I didn't really know very much about it going in at all, um, which is probably best. <laughs> but so you're sitting there nine hours a day meditating. Yeah. Um, can you take us through the sensations that you were going through physically, mentally? I mean, I've heard other people describe it, so I feel like I can understand a little bit that, you know, the first whatever they say, like four days is pretty much pure hell. Like your brain is just going a million miles an hour trying to escape being present. Um, But I've never done it. So I'm kind of hoping that you can take us through your experience and then what you came out with. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So the first three days, you know, you're up at four o'clock in the morning, um, going, you know, you go into meditation then there's breakfast and it's meditating again for however many hours. (laughs) this lunch, meditating again, you, you don't eat again after 12, you just have tea in the evening, which surprisingly for me was fine. I think some people struggle with that, but I was just like, I'm just sitting, I I don't feel that hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, but the first three days is sort of that getting in, like you're just going deeper and deeper and deeper as the days pass. But for me, I didn't really realize because I was in it. Right. And you're not having any reflection. You're not talking to anyone about it. You're not writing anything. I am definitely like a verbal processor. Like I need to talk and hear the words to understand what's happening in my head and my experiences. So, and that's different for everyone. Some people are definitely not that way. But for me, it was like, I didn't totally know where I was or what was happening all the time because I couldn't talk about it, Mm. assess it. So I'm just going deeper and deeper and deeper, but in my head, um, so the first few days was, yeah, the, the chatter, the mental stuff is there and you kind of feel it starting to slip away. And that's simply because it's not around you anymore. You don't have the conversations. You're not having distractions. You're not, you know, everything is the same. Like you take away all stimulation, right? And eventually you just are less stimulated, overly stimulated. So I didn't find that part too hard. My mind was in a pretty like peaceful quiet ish zone to start. So that wasn't too bad. But by day four, when we get into the Vipassana, like those first three days are kind of a type of meditation where you're just honing your mind in You're you're focusing on sensations in one tiny little area in your body to sharpen your mind to be able to feel your body sensations. And then the fourth day goes into the Vipassana meditation where you kind of start scanning your whole body. And the whole idea is to go up and down, up and down, up and down for 10 hours a day (laughs) and, um, stay like, stay with 
equilibrium and awareness. So when a thought comes to your head and you realize you've kind of gone off and you're like running with that thought and you realize that you're like, oh yeah, come back to the breath, come back to the scanning. Or if there's pain in your body, you scan, you notice it, you're like, oh, there's pain here, how big is it, what's it doing, okay, and you keep going. So it's about not attaching to anything, right? It's like on the basis of this, you know, all our misery in the world comes from either fear or desire. And fear leads to aversion and we wanna get away from it and desire leads to craving and we want more of it. And those are the things that actually cause us pain. So be aware of them, observe those things, the craving in your thoughts, the pain in your body, and then come back to like neutral in a way. It's kind of how I was understanding it. Mm-hmm. So that's way easier said than that. Is like theory, right? You can intellectually understand that. And then the whole experience of a 10 day Vipassana is like, holy shit that is not easy to do right and what happened for me is i got this crazy pain in my back and i couldn't get past it like i couldn't it was so intense it felt like a knife through my back only when i was meditating it did not show up when i was sitting listening to the discourse at night or the the talks it didn't show up when i was eating just when i was meditating so i was like damn it <laughs> this is you know, this is my message, fuck. <laughs> and I went to the teacher, because you can you can talk to the teacher, you can sign up and have like a five minute chat with the teacher if you need help, if you're, you know, discouraged or you need help with the practice or you have questions. And I went in there and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, so I'm just kind of losing it. Like, I'm like trying to stay neutral. I'm able, like I've got to a point where I could sit for an entire hour and not move with the pain there. and but it was still there and it was distracting me and bothering me. And uh, so I, I talked to the teacher and she just starts laughing. <laughs> She's like, that's great. She's like, that's, this is working. Like that you're getting, you know, that's what happens. And she's like, that's your weak spot. Use it as a tool. And I was like, Oh, okay. I can get that. I'm going to work with this. Okay. And then I felt like I came at it from every angle, you know, compassion towards my body and then fucking anger right and like this sucks and fuck you and I hate you like really horrible feelings towards myself Mm -hmm. and then you know and then my mind would be like sad and then it would be like doubtful like oh my god I'm doing it wrong what's happening I don't know what I'm doing this is bullshit like for a few days I was just like I don't believe in this I don't like this I think the teachings are stupid I can't wait to get out of here like (laughs) basically as you're going deeper and deeper in you're you're able to observe how you think like the things that came up for me the way I was approaching this this thing which was the pain in my back which could for somebody else be a thought they can't get rid of, or it could be anything, right? Everyone's experience is different. But what's interesting is you're getting deeper into the fabric of your mind and you're getting deeper into your psyche and actually able to observe how you talk to yourself, how you think. And when something's challenging, what emotion comes up, right? And it's going to be totally unique to you. And so it was insightful of like where my mind goes and And again, being in it, I didn't have this articulation of it. I didn't know this was what was happening. I was just like struggling through the experience. And only when I came out and stepped, you know, and actually started talking, the first hour I could talk, and I was talking with my roommate when we were allowed to talk again, 
within that hour, I could like feel my mind just like, whoosh, like suck out of the depths it was in. And it only like within that hour, see, have enough perspective to be like, oh my God, I was in it. That was wild. Holy shit, that's cool. And <laughs> that like that was happening, that was working. And then again, coming out, like be, then the net last week of being able to talk to people and start to put those pieces together and I'm putting together sort of what actually happened in there. And it's not always pretty, right? Like we're, we're not kind to ourselves. I mean, that's the whole thing. And, and being able to see like how much for me personally, self doubt was a really big part of it. And I didn't realize how much, how deeply ingrained doubt is in the fabric of my mind. And it's just making me reflect now on, well, how much does that actually rule my life? Like how, when I didn't realize that's, you know, the deep root of it, I just thought, oh, maybe sometimes when I say, oh, I don't want to do that, or I'm not interested in that, or that scares me or da, 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 like, or even relationships or deeper, more intricate things like which negative emotions are actually, you know, fueling my actions. And, and that's cool to just start to bring some awareness to that. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the fact that you come to a conclusion that self-doubt has really run your life in certain ways with, and then comparing, contrasting all the accomplishments you've made that are tremendous. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people, when, when they get to hear in a you know, few minutes, like, I mean, you sailed across Pacific, you've entered a Bolivian jail on your own free will. Like, like that's crazy shit. So you're, you're always challenging this self-doubt and accomplishing amazing things, which I think, I hope you have noted as well. Like it hasn't necessarily handicapped you. No. Yeah. Thank you. Um, for sure. And again, I, I still feel like I'm just putting it all together. I'm putting the little pieces together. <laughs> I, I, I don't know yet how it all pans out, but yeah, it's, it's, and it's good to acknowledge. I mean, everyone, that's the thing. Pe people would look at me and be like, what? Like, but you're so confident or this or that. And, and it's like, ah, oh, everyone's got their demons in there somewhere, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's really cool, though, that you're willing to step into it, challenge yourself with it, accept it, you know, and then hopefully move past it in whatever way you can, you know, towards a, a different future. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's, it's like, it's like all different types of therapy or healing. This is just a really intense solo personal one. And you know, you're only going to go to where you're going to go when you go to a Vipassana, like where you're at, where your mind's at, where you're ready and how, where you're going to take it. Um, and hopefully get to some insights for sure. And yeah. And we'll see, like, I think there's so much power in just awareness. Mm -hmm. if, if, if think about this again, like, on some level of my consciousness, there's an awareness there and that alone will shift like that changes things. So, yeah. yeah. Do you, can you draw any comparisons to the Vipassana and that like, I don't call it aloneness, but that stillness that you experienced, uh, when you, do you had any comparison to when you like sailed across the Pacific? Did you have moments that you could relate to? Yeah, I thought about it for sure. Um, the closest thing, sailing across the Pacific. So that was a six month trip, um, through Central America, Galapagos, and then all the way through the Marquesas and the Tuamotos to Tahiti. And, but the crossing from Galapagos to the Marquesas is the big crossing. It are, we did it in 21 days and there was definitely a lot of days 
Well, yeah, actually, there's a couple of things. So there's a lot of days where I just sit on deck and stare out into the sea. There's nothing else. And realize that time had just passed, like suddenly two or three hours had passed. But I wasn't even like thinking about anything. And so in a way, that's like sort of preparation. Like it made me realize going into Vipassana that the hard part for me is is not the being alone or quiet. Like I spend a lot of time alone too. Um, and that is the positive feeling. Like I like, I liked the sitting on the deck and staring out. I liked the, um, being in my own space in the Vipassana mental space, everything. I enjoy that. Um, and I think it's kind of a good preparation that the sailing experience, Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the, the challenging days is some days on that crossing, I'd wake up in the morning, you know, put my feet over the edge of the bed and just be like, Oh God, another day, right? Like nothing's going to happen. Well, you never know, but like the same routine, the same thing, there's nothing going on. Kind of the same routine. Like I don't always do so well with routine, you know, I like it to some degree. And I also really like spontaneity and, and unpredictability. And, and so I felt that some days waking up in the Vipassana room, like, here we are again, it's four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to walk over to the hall the same way I walk every day and sit down on my cushion and just like a little bit of resistance around that. But that also came up as an interesting awareness piece for me too, that, you know, I like, what is that? You know, why, why can't I just sit in that stillness? Like where, what am I craving? What am I averting? Like, again, you know, the reflection on, when these feelings come up, because I had moments when I didn't have that pain in my back, which was only maybe three meditations out of a hundred, but randomly, as soon as the pain wasn't there, I realized how quickly I was bored. And I was like, that is so weird. I'm not feeling joy or pleasure or I'm instantly bored. So maybe this is something to look at, you know, when I'm not in struggle, am I bored? Wow, dude, that is so profound. I mean, (laughs) what an amazing, like maze you've wandered through and come up with some incredible insights into yourself and the way you approach the world. Yeah. So again, work in progress. Like I'm only a couple weeks out of this meditation, so I don't know where it's all going to pan out, but these are just sort of this interesting thoughts that it it revealed. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, I've known you a long time. You're a great person and I've met a lot of people who have done Vipassana and they come out with insights just like yours. Um, that I was just like, wow, this is so cool. They're so like in tune with themselves and they have definitely made a huge shift in themselves. That's going to carry them into like great, cool things in the future, whether it's prosperity or just being a good person. But then they just regress to just being an asshole. Like they're just like, they forget everything and they're legitimate, like an asshole, you know, like what you just told me all these wonderful things you learned that, you know, have changed you forever. And yet you just revert back to just, I go into old patterns of being a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, I don't think it will to you. Cause as I said, you're, I think you're an underlying good person, but there's a lot of people that I would judge, which is, you know, unfortunate, yeah. but you know, that are kind of just mean, but do yeah. have that sort of search desire in them to go out and try to not be mean. And they come yeah. out with that, like, aha, I don't have to be mean anymore. And then they just like d- dive back into unconsciousness and they're assholes again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's such, yes, it leads you to compassion. Like this, the, I tasted a little bit of that. Like I think Buddhism, I don't know a lot about it, but there's definitely connections with compassion. And I, I felt it. Like when I came out, I felt more compassionate. Um, 
And that's great that people who are realizing they're, they're real, whatever assholes or struggling or treating people poorly want to dive a little deeper. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a great first step and it is too bad like that they leave it. And that happens too, you know, like you kind of start to fade back into life and into the distractions and then again, get attached to all these things and can't pull out of it. So it's too bad. Well, I but guess at least- it's not like a, a switch that necessarily flips or like something yeah. that it's probably just, it's like a practice, you know, like they, you know, it's a meditation practice. It's something that has to be nurtured and practiced on a daily. And it's not something that you get to just walk away from as a fixed person, if you will. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. It is a practice yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so there is that one adventure that I'm dying the audience <laughs> to hear about because we've talked about it and you're like one of the first, I think you were the first tour to enter the uh, Bolivian jail that now I don't think is existing anymore, but back in the day, somehow some of the inmates got together and correct me if I'm telling the story incorrectly, but, and basically got the guards to start allowing the public into the prison to give them tours in Bolivia. And you were traveling through South America and happened to be one of the first tours that entered this jail. Can you describe, is that correct? Am I getting that story right? No, totally. It makes me laugh. Oh man, the crazy (laughs) shit of you. No, I'll keep doing it. <laughs> so t- um, tell us what happened. You're traveling South America. You're in Bolivia. And what happens? Yeah. So I'm with my friend. We're in La Paz. We were like five months into a six-month trip. So we're, you know, in the groove. I was 20. Um, and we were staying at a hostel that was kind of known as an Israeli hostel. Like, there's a lot of Israelis there. And they were in the know. And they were just like, oh, yeah, you guys should go check out this the jail in La Paz. So, you know, it's a big city. And we were like, okay, cool. That sounds awesome. They're like, yeah, yeah, just go down to the jail and ask for Pedro, like, on visiting day and just, like, yell Pedro, Pedro, and he'll wave you in and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of all we heard. So we go down, and it's it's visiting day, so there's tons of people outside these bars and all the inmates inside, you know, making the connection. And sure enough, Pedro, hey, hey, okay, cool. We go over to the guards. We give them our passport, which is rare like especially those days i don't know maybe now still like you kind of never parted with your passport Mm -hmm. especially in a jail (laughs) (laughs) and over the passport and 20 dollars us so back then this is like late 90s we were paying a dollar a night for hostels and maybe 50 cents per meal so 20 dollars was a lot Mm -hmm. so we hand over 20 dollars each and our passports and they open the door and they're, and boom, we go in and we were with a group of, there's about six of us and Pedro rolls up and he's like, okay, cool. We're, we're going on the tour. We're going to show you the jail. So we just walk into this jail, which is, you know, people are there for everything you can imagine. It's like a maximum security Bolivian style jail. And I remember instantly, like, again, stupid. I'm just like wearing a tank top and instantly it just felt like the eyes, it felt like a thousand eyes on me. And I'm like, Oh, whoa. And like slowly put my sweater on and, uh, and we we're walking through and cause that's, they're all rapists. I mean, there's like a huge portion of that jail that are rapists. rapists. Like it's a fucking jail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that was dumb. Um, so anyways, we kind of cover ourselves up just for safety. I now, don't know. Are you, are you walking around with an armed guard? Like does somebody have you kind of protected? Or are you just subjected to like, you could have like hugged an inmate. Could have totally hugged an inmate. So this jail is set up 
they're not in cells locked away. They're actually rooms. So it's like a community, like you have your room, but, and there's a library and there's this eating area and there's an area, um, where actually like a lot of the men who had been convicted, their families had nowhere to go. Like these are poor people. So the families would move in. So there was an area where it was kind of a family area. Um, but everyone's walking around like it's, it's open. So yeah. So he tours us around. He takes us into this one guy's cell. He's like, Oh, this is whatever Felipe. I don't know whoever from Spain. And he's been here for 30 years. And this is like 60 something guy. And he, he had collaged his entire cell. So he basically had every section of the world mapped out on his walls, just mm -hmm. as like entertainment and creativity. So he was like, all excited. Where are you from? Where are you from? And then pointing it out on his walls. And there's like this giant crack pipe uh, sitting next to his bed. And it's like, this is so weird. <laughs> what was he and in then, jail for? What did he go in there for? Oh, smuggling. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was smuggling or if he was just caught with drugs. There's only a couple foreigners. The reason the Israelis knew about it was that there was an Israeli guy in there who was in his twenties, who was just traveling like the rest of us, but got caught with Coke and, um, got put in jail. For how long? I can't remember now, at least a few years. So Jesus. it was kind of in the Israeli circuit to go visit this guy, you know, to just like give him some comfort and familiarity and home. And that's kind of why we heard about it. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't meet him. Um, and again, so what's happened. Okay. So we, we go talk to that Spain guy with the crack pipe and then he leads us down this other way and we pass this like pool and he says, oh, yeah, so this is what this is what happens when rapists come in. So if you get convicted of rape, that's the worst. That's the worst thing that could possibly. It's like the top of the list of bad there, mm -hmm. I think, in a lot of jails. And you come in and you get put in that pool. And so you're in water up to your neck or like mouth. I mean, you can breathe, but you're fully submerged in water. We're in La Paz. So it's super high altitude freezing mm -hmm. at night. And the other inmates will stand around the pool with sticks and hold you down and like hold you in that pool overnight. And that's kind of your entrance into the jail. And he's like, they usually don't survive. If they survive, then that's their like, that's our welcome for them. But usually they don't survive. Like it's a fucking free for all in there. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And then we're walking down this corridor and he opens the door and you just hear this like bang, 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 scream, thump, and he's like, turn around, turn around, turn around, go. And like shoots us back the other way. I'm just like, this is so crazy. So, yeah, I mean, so we cruised around. And, and what I learned is they actually have to pay for their cells. So if you have more money, you get a nicer thing. So, like, the Israeli guy had, you know, a decent room. He had, like, apparently a TV and things like that. Um, so it creates this need for an economy in there and a need to be making money or, or you don't or you don't have anywhere. You can't stay in your cell. And I don't know what happens then. Hmm. Um, yeah, how long, how long so, was the tour? Um, I think it was about two hours we were in there. Did you like eat lunch with them? Yeah. <laughs> like sit down and break um, bread? No, 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 we didn't eat. eat and glared at us. Like other than the Spain guy who really guy gave us a tour, there wasn't a lot of like interaction with the guys sitting around in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it was, it was pretty nice. It existed. I would do it again in a second. Like, it was definitely fascinating. It felt dangerous and um, and risky and scary and probably more than we even knew. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I mean, <laughs> you know? um, so 
What's yeah. interesting to me is like you paid somebody 20 bucks to get in. Like why couldn't someone pay 40 to get out, you know, or more? Yeah, right. Like of the inmates? Yeah. Like it seems like it's probably pretty easy to get out too. Well, I mean, no, no they're convicted. They're, they're in there, right? But yeah, I don't know. know. It gained a lot of uh, international attention, I'm pretty sure. Like somebody wrote a book about it. I think it became a New York Times bestseller. And I feel like, and I don't know. Yeah. Is, that now that's not they don't do that anymore like they kind of had to, it got too much of the spotlight they had to like shut down that whole like tourist attraction yeah because it was totally corrupt right like it was like i mean the guards probably kept 18 dollars of that 20 and gave the the tour guide two dollars right like i mean this was his way to make money but I, they were obviously paying off everybody involved totally um and it was that book that was fascinating to me so you know we have this experience cool carry on and about five years later I'm back in Vancouver. I'm working. Someone gives me this book called Marching Powder. And I'm reading it. It's about this English guy who gets caught um, trafficking coke through South America. And he gets caught in Bolivia. And boom. And I was like, oh, interesting, right? Like, he must have been in that jail that I was in, kind of thinking. And as I'm reading, it's his story. He wrote this book. He was the guy that created the tours. I mean, he was this English dude that's like, I need some money to have a nicer existence in this jail. Let's do this. And so asking it, like the, the year is lining up with the year that I, I was there down to a couple months. So that's where like when you were saying I was one of the first tours, I was. I only realized that reading the book and, and hearing his backstory onto this totally crazy experience I had in there that was is, really cool. I was like, holy shit. That is so yeah. cool, Kelsey. And then yeah. like learned the, the drugs. <laughs> and then learned the what? You broke up. The drug industry going on in there. The other oh. Oh, the drug industry that's happening in the jail that I learned through his book. I mean, it was obvious, like crack pipes and shit everywhere. But they, the way they were earning money was making drugs to sell on the outside. Like, it's so fucked up. I mean, they're, it, half of them are in there because of drugs. Like, it's just corrupt and messy. And, you know, the guard that that's happening because somehow this whole drug industry is functioning from the jail out to the public like, it's just so ironic, you know? That is. That's crazy, dude. They're manufacturing drugs in jail by people who've been put in jail for drugs. Like, that's just so weird. Yeah. So anyways, <clears throat> I learned that all through the book. It was crazy reading that book and putting the pieces together and being like, holy shit, that happened. <laughs> that's so cool. So, I mean, you have Knowles coming up. you going back out into uh -huh. the woods with your as a leader. Um, you have a few ideas about possibly new ventures you want to create not necessarily solidified, but there's probably some things brewing in you. Um, are you coming yeah. back to live ever in Nicaragua? Are you going to hit the road again and kind of do like the last two years and just travel around? Like what's going on? Um, yeah, no, the next little bit, I'm definitely feeling the desire to not be moving around so much. And that's new for me. So I'm rolling with that. Like I, I, yeah, this winter was too much, too much moving, too much in and out suitcases. Like I'm wanting, I'm enjoying being here in Tofino. I definitely want the West Coast here to be in my life again in some way, like in a more solid way. Mm -hmm. I have some business ideas for sure for around here. Um, and then um, Nicaragua is is on the table. Like as you, you know, as we hung out this winter, like my partners in the land down there we're talking about building a house so that's a potential project to go spend some time down there next winter getting that project going um and happening so that would pull me down there mm. 
but yeah, I don't know. I kind of wanted to start like making some roots again or building something like kind of mostly coming out of creativity. Like I'm ready to sink into the next project. And again, I don't quite know what that is, but I don't think it'll look like me traveling around as much next year. Right on. If you could give, you know, anybody some advice on, on what, what steps they could take to maybe take their first adventure out in the world, what would you tell them? Um, well, two things like one, if you want things to change, you have to change like as simple as that is, you know, if things are stagnant or not moving or unhappy or you're starting to get those thoughts of restlessness or unhappiness, like people often just stay there, you know, and maybe think about it or ponder it or roll the thoughts around, but you have to actually change things, change yourself, change your setting, change your day, change your routine. Like nothing's going to change unless there's actual movement. And then that leads to like taking the risks, like just being willing to, to get out of the comfort zone and take, you know, step into the unknown a little bit. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, you know, like I, I take pretty big unknown jumps now because I've learned that like it, always leads somewhere and so you know the baby steps of that is like just trusting and like starting with little little risks and and then things move you know it's like constant journey of movement and evolution that's beautifully said i think that's a really really beautiful way to leave this episode and close it out to the audience and uh okay and i just want to say to you you chape i really really appreciate you bringing me on the podcast. I think it's so cool what you're doing. And, you know, we didn't really get big into into this, but like community and your tribe and your people is so important. And, you know, we're, you know, misfits and rejects, the podcast has like, we're all a little unconventional and doing things differently. And it's just, it's a cool way to, to build this community. So I just really value what you're doing. So thank you. Well, thank you, Kels. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I know that uh, the audience, oh, real quick, if the audience did want to reach out to you and get some information on Bolivian jails or sailing around the world or Knowles, um, where can they reach out to you at? So my email, which is Kelsey, K-E-L-L-S-I-E, Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S. So my name, Kelsey Forbes at gmail.com. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you got a a whole library of activities you've done and things you've accomplished through acupuncture, sailing, entrepreneurship. So I think, you know, you're a nice resource for someone to reach out to. So thank you again. Love you, Kels. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.